Hey guys, welcome back to Vertical Momentum. I'm your host, Richard Kaufman, also known as The Comeback Coach. Guys, this is going to be a great episode. If you ever wanted to start a business and to grow a business to where it's not just you make a million dollars and you're bankrupt the next year, we're talking about building real businesses, building real relationships. So guys, I can't wait. I'm excited. I'd first, I'd like to thank our sponsors. Our first sponsor is me. Just came out with brand new swag. The new shirt that came out. Um, came out. Everybody asked me, well, how am I always so pumped up? Because I'm drinking my own coffee. And it's called Vertical Momentum Coffee. Uh, as you know, I was in the health and fitness industry for 30 years. I love pre-workouts. So I made a pre-workout coffee. So it's high energy, ass-kicking coffee. Don't take it three hours before bed. I'm telling you, don't do it. So I just wanted to... If you guys are interested, check that stuff out. And all my proceeds go to help veterans struggling with homelessness and uh, PTSD issues. So I want to thank you. Guys, this is going to be a great episode. I'm so pumped. I want to thank my friend Zach, Tim, Paul. Hook me up with this gentleman. He's truly amazing. Um, I got so many questions I want to ask. So, brother, welcome to the show. How Ooh. are you doing today? I'm doing fantastic. So, yeah, I just finished my one work day. So my one business, we're jumping on the next one. We're creating content. So I'm happy get to jam with a friend of a friend. To, so I get to a new friend today and uh, yeah, I, I'm, I'm super excited to be here. Thank you for having me, Richard. And by the way, since the last, since I knew we were going to talk, I've been binge listening to your podcast. Um, it's amazing. I've learned so much and I think I consumed it all in one chunk. So, <laughs> I, I appreciate that. That that podcast, well, uh, Zach has really helped me put in a lot of work. And you could just you tell the difference between working with him uh, then and now. But it's a labor of love for me. So I really, really appreciate that because my goal with the show is that I want people to listen to it and know that they can go from zero to 100K or even go from that six-figure My slogan is six figure a year to six figure months with their business. And I, I just put out all the information that people charge for is in that, it's in that podcast. There's, I just, that's, that is really great to hear. So. And I love it. Um, and now my background, I don't know if you know, I was with general nutrition center for over 30 years. So I got to touch a lot of products, help launch a lot of products. And then there were some products that were hot for about eight minutes made a lot of money and then they're no longer in business because, yep. because they didn't do the right things and build the real relationships. So that's one thing I want to talk about. Mm -hmm. So tell us a little bit about where you're from, uh, where you grew up and what kind of little kid were you? Oh, what kind of little kid was I a troublemaker mostly. Um, so that's, that's in a nutshell, that would be the, the story of me. Uh, eventually I'm going to get into writing a book and the book title I already have. It's called How to Eat Water because I'm a contrarian. I'm always doing things the uh, the wrong or the hardest way possible. And that didn't really work out to, for me very well up until maybe my late 20s. I realized doing everything the hard way, you end up building a pretty good skill set and it's a lot of life experience. But um works out just fine now. But I grew up, we're in an entrepreneurial family. I grew up in the manufacturing industry. And like everyone else, I tried to go do my own thing. I, I did uh, web development. 
I went to school for computer science, didn't really like that, worked in programming for a while, but I got sucked into the family business so in manufacturing. And about 14, 15 years ago, I started doing really simple, say reverse engineering product development. So somebody comes in, we have a, I'm in a manufacturing facility right now. Somebody come in, say, hey, I want 10 of these. We draw it up, we would make it. But from that, that evolved into building products for large aerospace companies, you know, alphabet soup of DOD uh, and government agencies. That's kind of where we arrived today is that I've, I've been developing products for 14 years for companies at very small, fast moving level. And for the biggest companies on earth, you name a tech company, you name a defense contractor or one of those little three-letter alphabet soup kind of organizations, uh, they have either bought something that I've developed or I've developed something that they've requested. So, Okay, now I got a question, you know, because yep. um, I'm, I'm, I'm new to this. I've only been doing, you know, my podcast for three years. Um, but with Zach's help for the last six months, I think we've had something like 200,000 downloads. And um, because I'm, I'm listening to what he's saying, I'm doing what I'm told and I'm studying more. But I, I realize that, you know, in the podcasting world, you know, um, a lot of people start podcasts because it's what they want to do. But it, they don't really focus on what the customer wants. Mm. And even with GNC, I, you know, I noticed that a lot of companies, they would come out with products that were, they wanted to put out but they would sit on the shelves because their customers didn't need it. <laughs> so talk to us a little bit about that, especially before a person even gets into a certain market, you know, what sh things should they do or not do? Well, that kind of cuts to the core because uh, I'll tell a little story about, about the formation of my, my one business and how I kind of got it wrong and how that leads into the podcast and really lessons about developing products. So five, six years ago, I thought, hey, every smaller business or entrepreneur that comes in that we develop products for, they, they really don't have a good grasp of what the process for developing and getting a product to market is. And I, I've been in um, kind of a privileged situation because I, I work with those companies, so I've seen what hundreds of people do. I didn't have to read a book. I've read the books, but the books are mostly uh, garbage. I'll tell you. <laughs> so I say like, hey, I'll just, this is a simple, like uh, blue collar person's approach to this is like, these are things that just work. And so I, I thought, hey, I'm going to go out and I'm going to go speak at those colleges. I'm going to go speak at those events and I'm going to give people what they need which is a firm process for how to develop and launch a product, but it's not what people wanted. So that whole story, it had to evolve and I had, had to learn how to message that better, package it better and who that would really serve. And that's why I say the, the podcast for me and my content, it's really, it's just everything where I really want to help people, but I know that that's not directly who I'm monetizing, right? So for me, there's a huge group of people that I can just say, hey, I 100% want to help you. You have a question for me. I'll make a whole 
30 minute episode about it. And I'll answer that question for tens of thousands of people at one shot. And that that's been great. And that's really, it's a lesson that we drive home now, because if we don't know who our customer is and really what they need in their life, how are we going to know who our competition is? How are we going to know what features to have? How are we going to know who we can collaborate with that's important? And it, it really just comes down to very simple things. You know, like there's all this fanciness, this fluff around it. But what I've found we, when we strip everything away, we boil it down, is people want to become something else, right? They're, they, whether they know it or not, they're on some type of transformational journey. People buy very simple products because they want to belong and they want they want to fit in. They want to evolve into this thing. If we want to build an amazing brand, we help facilitate that transformational change. People becoming that next level of themselves. That shows all the people we can collaborate with, what communities they belong to, the values that they have, what their actual desires and emotion are, it, you know, it really puts us in contact with them and it cuts the bullshit away from the, the fluff of like who, you know, how fancy our company is, how complicated our product is, how cool our marketing is, because it becomes customer centric, not egocentric. And so, you know, and, and, you know, like, and I feel like it's, it's going to be an infomercial for Zach, but, uh, <laughs> But, you know, like he talks about, you know, the four W's, mm -hmm. um, like my friend John Lee Dumas, um, who's a, one of my mentors, taught me, you know, before you even start your podcast or your whatever business you have, you need to find your perfect avatar. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you need to go an inch wide, but a mile deep to find out who your perfect avatar is before you even start anything. So please talk a little bit about that, of finding the perfect customer for your product. Yeah, and this this is a really good, and this is something that I actually got from Zach as well, because a lot of people struggle with avatars. I just, I just did a really long talk on it the other week, but something from Zach is if, you, if your personal brand is part of that, you can do the story of who I was who I am now and you become the you become the figurehead for the identity that the people want they want to be so if you read Russell Brunson's expert secrets that's what I'm listening uh, to right I'm, I was out, I was out picking up my daughter and I was just reading dot com secrets and yeah. he was talking about you know you can be I, I don't remember the exact words but the unsug hero yep your story so I, I was just listening to Brunson and I was just actually going back with Ross, with Russell. And go He's ahead, a King. Yeah. So we we called uh, the Epiphany Bridge. Other people call it the Epiphany Bridge. You know, I I was stuck. I was having this issue, and then boom. The reason that I like this is not just because of the personal brand piece, but it's because it connects you directly to your customer's problem, and it makes sure that that you have uh, and like an emotional tie to that problem, so you can really figure it out. And if, if you don't know what problem you're solving, it doesn't matter if you have a lasered in people fill out that customer avatar sheet and they know exactly how old they are. They know how much money they make. They know all this stuff. And I'm like, what, 
what are the books that are on that person's nightstand? Right. What are, what's the Facebook group that they belong to? What's the podcast that they listen to? What does that person wish was true in their life? What's the thing that they know is holding them back? And what's the thing that they haven't realized yet that's truly holding them back from being successful? And you can tell the story of a customer of yours or better yet yourself, then you can connect those things. But it's really easy to just laser focus, really dial it in on that as the avatar because you know who they are, but you also know who they want to be. This is what people mess up with their avatars. They, they know who they are, but they don't know who their customer wants to be. Very difficult to really have a premium product or a premium service if that's the case. Now, if you want to create a movement, you want people to really follow what you're doing. They, you want yeah. them to buy your coffee, even though they don't drink coffee. You want them yeah. to buy coffee for all of their friends. Be, you have to attach it to something with meaning and mission. And the way that we do that is we sell who we're going to be in the future. Hey, you want to be me? That's great. Follow along as I become this thing and I do this thing. You can contribute to that community impact and who I'm becoming. I'll take you along with me. Yeah. And and um, some of my clients do this so well that that they've attracted investment from companies without having product because the uh, potential partners, really large companies, they just believed in the mission so critically that they said, yeah, you're the right person, but we really agree with where you're going to go. So we're going to give you a million dollars. It's wild. When I had you know lunch with Gary, I guess it's almost three years now, um, something he told me, he said, you know, because I was asking him, you know, what do I do? You know, he because he's the impetus for starting the whole podcast three years ago. Um, but he said, you know, teach, don't teach, document. Mm, yeah. You know, because he said, you know, some of my like he has one video. I think it's like 10 million downloads. It was just him in a flea market with a flip cam while he was flipping something. He said, but I wasn't teaching anything. I was just documenting. And it'll catch up to you in the in the future. So talk about, you know, like you said, not teaching, but having people come along the journey with you. Yeah, this is it, and you can do this at different different levels and different styles. Really, I want people to figure out what works for them. Some people are good at speaking, so a podcast is great. Yeah. Maybe events are pretty good. I have clients and friends and mentors that are unbelievable writers. I'm not that great of a writer. I'll tell you right now. <laughs> Me too. So I'm not, I'm not pushing out books. I'm not putting all those long form Facebook posts every day. I, I don't have a, a killer blog, right? I'll let Neil Patel have a killer blog. Okay. I'm not doing that. That's his thing. Not my thing, but you find something that works for you. And yeah, you put out your thoughts. How much more powerful of a personal brand builder is, hey, I just learned this thing and I want to share it with you. Then, you know, I'm going to wag my finger at you from on high that I know this thing and you don't. Which thing is more authentic Like as we grow and we evolve and we figure out what the hell we're doing and what our business does is to come from that that personal perspective. We can still be perceived as an authority and ahead of people and an expert and all of that, but we can be perceived as someone who has the door open to becoming a peer, right? 
we can say because the way that we document our lives, we become accessible. And Gary's a good example of that. He has hundreds and hundreds of employees, right? It's a big, big deal. Uh, but you watch the content and he still seems like a regular dude. He seems like an accessible person, a real person. And I think that's going to hold true whether it's uh, he's at 500 million or 5 billion. It's just he's mastered the craft of doing that. And yeah, it's really hard for people to figure out how to help you if you're uh, <laughs> if you're not sharing. I I think this is a, this is a big you know, you, you know what I'm talking about. There's a lot of circles where they're like, you know, fake it till you make it and all this other stuff. And I feel like no matter what level of success that I have, my problems just get bigger. And if I don't have people that I can share those, uh, those struggles with those challenges with, they're never going to get solved. So how can I, you know, how can I help other people and help myself authentically if I'm not really, you know, honest about, Hey, the, here's this problem. Here's this problem. Here's how I overcame that problem. Here's the person that helped me overcome that problem. And, and, uh, yeah, it's just so much easier to people struggle with content, they struggle with message and authenticity. And it's like, just, just, uh, stop. <laughs> now, um, for me, you know, one of my favorite quotes, I just love it. And I don't know, but I've heard it a lot is, uh, you don't know what you don't know. So hire somebody that does know, you know, oh, for man. like, I don't know how to make coffee. I don't know, have a clue, but my friend does. And he has a coffee making company. Mm -hmm. So he white labels everything. You know, I don't know how to make a t-shirt. I can iron it, but I don't know how to make one. So I have a friend that makes t-shirts. And I think yep. a lot of people, when they're starting companies, they try to reinvent the wheel instead of reaching out to their friends or their friends of friends and say, listen, I need help to to start my business and a lot of companies now i mean like i'm i'm an old man now i just turned 53 but there's still such thing as bartering in in today's business world you know For like sure. i just had sharon lecter from uh, rich dad come on and she was talking about her and robert when they started the company they had they had no credit so they had to kind of do things a different way and they had to do a lot of bartering just you know like if you come on my show you help me out I'll help promote you out. So talk to us about not having to reinvent the wheel, especially with a lot of products that are already out there. And that that's a, that's a big deal, right? Because so we could really go into depth with this, but it, reality is if you have somebody help you who already knows how to do something, you're baking in a, a certain level of scale into your business. This is why unless unless we're working on a hard tech, like a science thing, something that's never existed ever, and then we're still, we're collaborating with experts, we're working with the right contract manufacturer, we're putting the right resources in place to make sure that we can be successful. But when I look at people just starting, I have a roadmap we call the traction product framework. And there's this temptation to say like, I'm going to roast my own coffee beans, right? So I said, okay, step one is now you need a space. Step two is you need to know, have the machine. You have to figure out how to do it. The, the big obstacle to a business is knowing how to sell it, building the brand and selling the product. You can just hire somebody to, to do all that. So why are you 
putting additional obstacles in your way. And people do this because of fear and control issues and ego and you know, a, a mix of different things. But the, the reality is there's great businesses that have sell products that they've never made anything in their in, entire corporate history that they, they just curate brands. There used to be malls filled with these companies, right? But if you look at a lot of a lot of really successful brands all the way up, you see like Apple's got a trillion dollars in the bank, and now they're just thinking about making their own product, right? Because I think when you look at that scale, Steve Jobs was burned because when they started, they had to build their own product in their garage, and he realized, wow. I am a great salesperson. I can generate demand, but as long as I'm making this myself, I can only sell as much as I can do. Yeah. Right. So if I can collaborate with somebody who's an expert in doing this thing, they're an infrastructure business. So I'm in a manufacturing uh, factory right now. I'm, I'm in, in K form contract manufacturing company. And we're really at the end of the day, we're infrastructure on tap, but the mistake that a lot of entrepreneurs make is they, they want to make that hat that you have. So their first thing is to save up money for the embroidery machine. And then they buy it, then they make the hat and then nobody wants it. And then I see this all the way up and people come to me and they're, they're like, okay, I've hit a roadblock. How do I actually sell my X, Y, Z? Right. And I feel like people make things more complicated to avoid the stuff that they are out, is out of their control or really smart technical people do this all the time. They spend forever building the product and because they, it feels a comprehensible, it feels approachable. They understand it. And then when it comes to selling it, it just sits there in their garage and they've wasted hundreds of thousands of dollars, uh, you know, on a, product that nobody wants or they have no ability to go to market but i don't know i don't know if that properly answers the question yeah. but you know <laughs> like when i first started the show i used to you know joke around you know every veteran when they get out of the military wants to start a t-shirt company a hat company yeah. liquor or coffee and i got three out of four um but it's kind of i had to realize because i'm a big shark tank guy um i actually just had uh Mark Cuban's brother on last week talking about stuff, but it's amazing how when a person starts a, a, a company, the first thing they do is start to try to undercut everybody. It's like, <laughs> listen, you know, you're not going to undercut grunt style. You're not going to undercut black, black rifle co coffee. Right. But so you have to make yourself different and, and, and brand yourself different. You know, like, so I, I forget, I think it's Tony Robbins. Because um, I got so many books I got listening to right now, and they're always talking about how you know I'm not going to be the cheapest anymore. I'm going to be the most expensive, and there's a reason why I'm going to be the most expensive because I'm going to add the most value. Yeah, the, so, there's there's so no about not going to the race to the bottom. Oh my god, this is so. This used to be my one of my signature topics because look, there's no strategic advantage to being second most expensive. First of all. Pricing is completely subjective. It is not objective. Right? 
So co cost is an objective measure. If I look at something, I say it costs this much to make this many of an item. We can tweak it and we can pinch pennies, we can optimize it, but the price to the customer or the price to the market is completely subjective. That's why Gucci sells a $300 t-shirt and Hanes are three for $10, right? It's not because one allows you to fly or breathe underwater. It's because one has, it has a perceived value that they're playing to. Market demand, brand association, tribal identity, you know, a certain uh, respect to money or however you want to perceive what that value gap is, that's what they're playing on. And the fact is, is that every shirt they make is sold out. So for who that customer is, it works. Now, uh, I got pretty notorious for, I, I, I sold the world's most expensive fidget spinner. Right. And this was in maybe 2016, 2017. And it came off of another project where I showed people how to launch a product. We, we did from clean piece of paper to launch on Kickstarter in 20 days. And we made some money. We made a fidget spinner before this is like maybe three, four months before they really started coming into the mainstream. But I showed people how to do it. I taught a group of people how to run the ads, how to do the copy, how to develop the product. Uh, I didn't make the product even in my factory. I showed them how to outsource and prototype it. And and to your to your point, barter to get the things done. So barter for a videographer and do as little of it as possible. So I spent I spent about a thousand dollars to get that product onto Kickstarter, and we did we did pretty well. And then people were like. Well, you couldn't scale that. That's not going to work. Nobody's going to buy it. Now, those those were $200, $230 uh, fidget spinners, right? So we got a little frustrated because I did that whole thing, not really to make money, but to show people that they could develop a product using a community space, using just outsource machine shop or a craftsman. They could do it. They could turn their idea into something. And people love excuses. So they just were like, you know, hey, those ought to be super cheap. You have to make a million of them to make any money. And I'm a contrarian. So I just did the opposite. I was like, I'm going to show these people how you don't have to spend any money on ads and you can make a really premium product. So at uh, my main company at K Form, we sell very expensive things. And I know that this works because we, can't really even advertise the things that we sell. We sell them through relationships. And they're very expensive. So they're 10 times or 20 times the price of a normal version of that product. And I know, so I know this works. So I wanted to show people that it works with a craft project. So we collaborated with a friend. He's um, arguably the world's most uh, successful or popular or well-known uh, artist with CNC machining. And he's he's uh, in Baltimore, so I'm in Northern Virginia. He's in Baltimore, and he designed for us a fidget spinner. That's actually we created our own category called pocket sculptures. And people still sell pocket sculptures. There's Facebook groups for it. This is our this is our made up thing, is that we took the value of one of his thirty thousand dollars sculptures, and we put it into the 
the form factor of a fidget spinner, something you could fit in your pocket. And so it wasn't the world's most expensive fidget spinner. It was a very affordable bathgate sculpture. And this is the lesson that I taught everybody that pricing is subjective. It's about filling your value bucket with what is necessary to get the product sold. We launched that product to his list. So private launch, same thing that I teach clients now five years later. Uh, we didn't spend a dollar on ads and we sold 150 of them off of an Instagram post and an email list. So, you know, I love that. <laughs> now I'm just thinking because um, I'm a father of an autistic child. Mm -hmm. So if, if I'm looking for say fidget spinners mm -hmm. and there's one for 20 bucks, there's one for 10 bucks and yep. then there's one for 239 bucks. I'm going to be, why is that two, $239? Right. What what's the difference? You know, be like I, I you know, I was with GNC. If we would have a sale, we would put a, a twenty dollar pre-workout, a thirty dollar pre-workout, and a sixty dollar pre-workout. And the sixty dollars would sell out all the time. No matter yep. oh yeah, it was it was just the tags on them. I think people also perceive that if something's more expensive, it's worth more, correct? A hundred percent. Absolutely, that is true. And it opens up the door to other uh, other things, building actual brands, uh, associating names with it. Um, there's a lot that you can do with premium pricing or luxury product pricing. But more importantly, we can make limited versions of that product. We can collaborate with people that are really well known. So we can increase our, our like perceived brand equity. What, what we're seen as, I'll, I'll give a, like a normal example of this is Nike, right? Some people really hate Nike right now. I've been uh, collecting sneakers for a really long time. And what they've done successfully to 10X their business, right? More than 10X their business in the last, let's, let's call it 10-ish years, maybe 10, 15 years, is they'll have a version of the shoe where there's, 5,000 or 10,000 of those made. They'll, they'll go to a big name in, in the cultural market, right? So not even basketball players anymore, but cultural market. So a graffiti artist, um, somebody that, that is, that has the, the chops, like they're, they're really recognized as a, as a cultural leader in, in the market. They'll collaborate to make that shoe. That shoe sells out in seconds. You can't buy it. Right. But that scarcity it gets it to be spoken about. They say, Hey man, did you get that shoe? Oh no, I didn't get it. It's $300. Oh, too bad. It was sold out in seconds. Anyways, you can't get it. Now people are selling them for 800 bucks. But what happened is that everybody looks at that shoe. Now they're thinking Nike, right? Their RAS is on fire for that shoe. And then they go and they buy the regular version of that shoe. So it's not red and white. It's white and red. They go buy it because it's still basically the same shoe. And it allows you to have that tribal totem, like I belong to this uh, this community. I'm a I'm a savvy member of my tribe as well, right? I I have this sneaker, so they combine this uh, scarcity piece that's fed into a whole third party, you know, sales network. But they also have their unlimited version of the product. And when we start understanding perceived value, you realize that like. Nike could just make those shoes a thousand dollars in the first place, 
they could probably sell them, but there's a tactical advantage to selling them at a premium and at a scarcity and then allowing a whole market of dialogue and conversation around their product and then filling filling that demand with something else. Yep. And like for instance, I'll, I'll give a couple examples of what you're talking about. You know, like when Gary launched his own shoe, mm-hmm. it sold out like people were going crazy for it. Yep. You know, but you know, talking about Nike, uh, and I want to talk about branding in a minute, but you know, like when Under Armour first came out, as soon as it hit the market, it was popular, it was hot. As soon as they dropped a new product, everybody mm-hmm. wanted it. As soon as it hit Coles, it shit the bed. No, it's not a premium product anymore, correct? And they met they messed it up, right? So they're a Baltimore company, right? So it's a good local brand. They had a special incubation space, big deal. But they didn't understand what Nike was doing. They just didn't understand. They got money people, not heart people. They got money people that weren't really laser focused on building an empire size brand. They thought if I make a million of these shirts, I'm going to, my prices are going to be cheaper. More people are going to buy it. They don't understand that for the most part, you don't want those products to hit Kohl's or TJ Maxx or whatever. Now, pretty much every brand eventually kind of goes in there, but if you want to be perceived as a premium brand, which they really needed to, to run up against, you know, everybody else, Adidas, Nike, whatever. Um, yeah, they just put out too much product and they ended up it being perceived as a cheaper brand when they really were on the same par price wise. And in a lot of cases, uh, technology wise, we're way ahead. Now yeah. we talk about, you know, building a brand. I'm a big branding guy. I believe that you are your brand, mm-hmm. um, but there are certain brands people will not literally die for, but they have a, I'm a big, I watch people, I watch what they wear and yeah. people that wear Chucks, people that wear Vans, they, they love the product. They love the brand. Sure. And it's for some reason people go crazy over them and they'll stay with that same brand 10, 20, 30 years. So talk about building a brand, but also building a community. Yeah, I, I like this. This is, a, this is really important. Uh, my clothes will blow people's mind because uh, we're, for everybody that's watching live right now, I'm wearing my suit jacket. I'm at work. And depending on where you catch me, I'm probably either, I say, dressed like a like a rich 15-year-old or I'm dressed like in a suit. So, but if people who get to know me, they'll realize it's the same, it's the same character because my brand is end hype. My brand is doesn't it doesn't matter where you see me, I'm gonna tell you pretty much how it is. Um if you're wrong, you're wrong. If I'm wrong, I'm wrong. But it just we're gonna figure out how to do it. There's really no fluff going on. So it's a it's a more difficult brand position to be in, but this is this is long term. The best saying I've heard on brand is it's the story that people tell about you when you leave the room. Uh, Jeff Bezos says a similar thing is that it's the story that someone else tells someone else about you. And 
this is critical because if you want to grow and not have to pay a ton of money to acquire customers and be hacking on cold calls or cold emails and doing all that kind of spammy stuff that you see people doing, word of mouth is, is an intentional, powerful tool. You can intentionally build word of mouth. And one of the ways to do it is people have to remember what you do. Yeah. <laughs> they have to know what you're about and where you fit into their universe or with a friend's universe, if somebody's going to refer you, they have to know exactly what you do. And again, it's all about relationships. Like I just had JLD. Um, he sent me a recommendation and it was a picture with him, Tony Robbins and Dean Grazioso with a title underneath talking about how authentic and real I am. So, you, I, you know, when you can put stuff out like that, and like you said, it's being authentic and their people are going to be like, wait a minute, who's this guy? Because if JLD says he's good to go, let me find out about him. So talk mm -hmm. to us about building relationships and building uh, communities and getting into other communities at the same time. Yeah, this is this is uh, fantastic because our world is organized by identities. It, it really always has been. That's what civilization is. I belong to this village. I belong to this family unit. We perceive ourselves as, a, you know, I'm a machinist or I'm a, I'm part of this, this profession, right? I'm a podcaster. I have all these different little bubbles of my identity. And in that intersection of those things, there's, there's a niche and there's a fervent niche for you. Cause you say like, Hey, I associate with veterans. I associate with business owners. I associate with dads. And you combine those things and you say, wow, that's a really specific group of people. And when you have that group of people, there's always a community that's built for them. There's always somebody who's the, the category king or the thought leader or however you want to, um, to phrase that when you really hit, hit those. But this is where people mess up is they want to appeal to everybody and they don't want to miss out. And they don't realize that you probably don't have the organizational resources, the time, the money, the connections to appeal to any, to appeal to everybody anyways, right? What you do have is you have the ability to build a brand inside of a very specific community. And I belong to a couple different communities, the manufacturing community, I've gotten to speak at national events, but then if I move over into the personal development world, nobody's ever been really to those shows. Maybe two or three people I've ever met are also manufacturers. They wouldn't know me from there. Same thing with the startup world. When I went out to go work with startups, uh, no VCs knew me, no, none of those mentors knew who I was. It took time to build a name in that whole different domain. But I'm very focused right now and I'm building my own little community and I belong to these others. Like I belong to Zach's community. I belong to the Apex community. I belong to a couple of those. And I've just said, these are the kind of people that on a value basis, doesn't matter what they do for work, on a value basis, I seem to align with. So I'm going to find those people and I'm going to participate as much as I can and with as narrow focus as I can. I'm going to present an element of myself, which is easy to memorize, so I can be a service to that community. 
I don't tell people, hey, I know how to build your website or do this or do that because there's a lot of people that do it. I just say, I'm your product guy. You have a product business? I can talk to you about your product business and to support that community, build my brand inside that community, build my own community. I get on a zoom call with one or two people every single week. And I break down every obstacle that they have at their point for their business. And I do it for free. The only thing that I ask for people is, Hey, if you're on a Facebook group, your, your friend, they have similar problems. Let me help them. If you think I helped you, let me help them too. That's it. And so from that, I get to help the community be a pillar of that community. And I get to spread my, my brand message. So that's it's a little bit longer of, of, a, of an answer, but everybody's obsessed with kind of building a community, but you have to put, you have to, Fill a lot of cups, man. You gotta, you gotta really put yourself out there. And I'll tell you, there's a lot of smart people out there, good backgrounds. They have skills, and they think if I share this information that I know, then nobody's ever going to want to hire me. They're not going to want to work with me. I'm going to sell myself short. I've never found that to be the case. Um, it's quite opposite. I found that you build a community around you, build a great peer circle around you. And that those next level opportunities, I I almost never pitch to get a job. Somebody just says, hey, you got to go talk to my friend Callie. We get on a call and they say, yeah, that sounds good. Send me an invoice. And people want to get there, but they don't want to do that Zoom call. <laughs> they, you know, they don't, they don't want to build community. And, you know, I love that. But, you know, something that Zach taught me, I know from, because like when I, I I got into it. I like I said, I had 300 episodes before I got into the into uh, underdog empowerment. Um, but I was taking at the same day. I ordered his course. I ordered JLD's course, and for like six weeks, it was nothing but taking courses and learning. Mm. And a lot of it, you know, what, what I've learned and is you have to have social proof that you are who you are, and you know. Yep. So, you know, like a lot of times, like um, I just had uh, Randy Couture, uh, Mick Foley. It's so cool, man. And, you know, Diamond Dallas Page is doing what a trip. Yeah. But, you know, for them to say this guy's all right, this guy's doing what he says. And a lot Mm -hmm. of people don't realize that, you know, like when you're doing getting reviews for your podcast, I think we got like 445 stars reviews. Um, It shows people that you know, you are who you say you are. So talk about building social proof in your business. This is an apt time, man. This is like the right time because so the, the one business K form we're, we're primarily we're in defense, right? So you're not going to get a whole lot of testimonials. Yeah, I'll tell you that right now. Nobody's getting on video. Can't use any of my customers logos. Yeah. But that being said, I know that I have good people that I can pick up the phone I can call them and I can say, hey, we did a great job for you. Can you give me a referral? So for for me, in fancy business world, there's net promoter score, NPS. It is the ultimate metric for anything is how many of your customers get you another customer for free, right? That's the word of mouth thing. So if you're looking at that, 
And if somebody wants to give you a testimonial, they want to give you a review, they want to say on LinkedIn, like give you a recommendation or whatever, that's great. But how many of those people got you a job for free? That's what I really want to walk away. That's the bookend of this thing. But for Red Blue Collective, for just my brand personally, I I just started reaching out and saying, hey, <laughs> I made you a million dollars. Can you make a 30-second video saying that you know you have a seven-figure brand now? And Richard, this is this is what's mind blowing is there's a certain flavor of person that is unbelievably happy to do that. They're they're like, oh man, I've been waiting to do this. I didn't know if this is appropriate or not. They're super excited. There's another flavor of person that that takes away from what they've achieved. And by really putting yourself out there and getting those reviews and 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 getting some kind of testimonials for people, what I've learned and what I want everyone to learn is that's a great gut check if this is the person that you should be having as your client, right? Because if when you do a service for, for someone and they've been successful and they say thank you and they won't publicly say it because they feel like that's to take away from their ego, that they didn't achieve it on their own, that's that leads down to a really dangerous road it's going to bite you eventually, right? Uh, it's just a really interesting lesson. But for the most part, I, I will say people made me great videos <laughs> and I put, put them, I put them online and it is kind of weird. I'm, I'm, um, I'm a pretty bad guru, right? I'm not uh, great at self-promoting. I have the podcast. I talk to people, but, uh, I don't do any weird things like say how much money I've made people or how big pride, because it, to me it sounds stupid, right? But from an outside perspective, I, I really should do more of that because it, it gives that social proof, like you're saying, and lets people know, okay, this guy's worked for XYZ company or he's done this, so maybe I should follow this up and get on that call with him. But for the most part, I think if your friend told you, and I'll, I'll, clo I'll close this ramble out with this. If your friend tells you to do something, like Zach says, hey, get on, get Callie on your show. You're going to do it, right? Yeah. Because here's here's a lie that's told to all of us is you've, you've heard this before. People buy from who they know, like, and trust. Yeah. It's not true. People buy because of people that they know, like, and trust. Right. You don't trust Facebook, Microsoft, you don't trust Amazon, but you buy products probably because somebody's referred them, they've reviewed them, mm -hmm. something like that. So you don't know, you didn't know me, so you don't have those factors, but you know Zach and mm -hmm. he facilitates that. So that's what people have to understand about relationships. In the, our world of identity and community, you buy because of someone you know, like, and trust. So you have a relationship that then acquires a customer. And that, that's what we have to be in. That's why testimonials and social proof are so powerful. Yeah. I, I love it now because like I just had one of the Iron Chefs on yesterday. And, you know, one of my questions in my emails is, is uh, do you, will you share, their, um, share your uh, episode out and will you join my email list? And, of course, he says no. 
you know, so I have him on yesterday and we had a great conversation. We went like an hour and 10 minutes and he's like, yeah, I'll, you know, I'll share your, share your products. He's like, but you know, I'm on iron chef, you know, I'm, I'm with Guy Fieri. He's like, if, you know, if I don't, if I share everything out that everybody does for me, (laughs) you know, and I'm like, you know, I totally get it. But, you know, now I know, like I had Petraeus on general Petraeus and he's like, Oh, well, great episode but i'm not allowed you're not allowed to air it and i'm like what it's like one of my greatest interviews ever he's like yeah because i'm up for a position in the um, cabinet would you mind not airing it and i'm like and i was mad and he got upset and i told my wife just like are you stupid and i'm like what he's like he's trusting you not to air it mm-hmm. and if you do air it you will never have his trust again but if you don't air it, you will have his trust for life. Wow. So, and I'm like, wow. So I, I guess I, what I'm trying to get at is sometimes you have to like really gauge your, you know, your audience or like, you know, I have, I had Mr. Steve Sims on, you know, he's, mm. you know, eight, eight, nine figure earner. He's like, he tells me, I'm not going to share your stuff. He's like, cause I'm on seven podcasts a week. So I get it. <laughs> you know what I mean? So I think sometimes you have to gauge your audience, but even though they're not sharing it, if somebody sees a picture with me and an Iron Chef and then me with Steve Sims and me with Petraeus, even though I'm not saying anything, it's saying something. You know what I mean? Yes, absolutely. You know, like Zach talks about, you know, his first big episode was with Billy Jean Marketing. Mm-hmm. And, and he ranked within, was it the first three weeks he was ranked on, or three days he was ranked on um, iTunes. It was all because of you know what he does and also mr billy jean so so how do you as a business owner like here i am i got a podcast i have my own coffee i know i'm not going to get rich off coffee or the t-shirt how do i scale this now where where do i go where does a person like me that just started a business how do they scale something like what i did so we'll we'll go back to my core strategy is figuring out who, not what. Really boil it down to that. So one, once we know who uh, we're serving, we also know who <coughs> is at the top of the game serving those the that group of people. But this this is the the lie that's told to us is this: come up with a product, put it on Shopify sell some, you know, Facebook ads. And this is what everybody I'm, I'm interviewing people as a CMO right now, because one of my goals for 2022 is to fire myself from marketing activities. I just want to coach people and create content. And so I'm, I'm interviewing these people. And for the most part, they, they just buy into that. They say, Hey, this is a way to grow business. And I'm, this is the way to scale a business is that we run these ads. And of course they work. But for me, that's a, it's a growth method. It's, it's not a scale method. If you don't have the money, it can't hop over that price chasm or that cost chasm, the capital issue. Because growing is, is very capital intensive. Inventory costs, space, equipment, all those things. So the way that I look at it is like this, is I want to stay in my zone of genius for my business. I want to think of my business as like a brand building laboratory 
if I'm developing products, I want to be able to prototype them. I want to be able to try them. I want to be able to find the right suppliers. I want to be able to lead my team. But anything that I can not do, I'm not going to do it. So this is from a person that is a manufacturer. I'm saying if, if there's a piece of this that I don't need to manufacture because somebody will do it better, more scalable, uh, possibly cheaper, but cheaper at scale, it's different than the price. But if I can buy an infinite amount of something from somebody and it's reasonable, I'm going to do that. And the reason is because I want an elastic business where I don't have to hold a bunch of crap in a warehouse. I don't have to have a million people that I may or may not need. And I want to be able to grow based on demand uh, and not have to, yeah, not have to hold a bunch of inventory. I want to be, I want to be flexible. And the reason is because if you look at where customers are, there's somebody that owns that audience already. They're sitting on a list of 30,000, 100,000, 300,000, 3 million of those customers that are your ideal customer. Right? It's the author of that book that's on their nightstand. It's the host of the podcast or the YouTube channel that they watch every day. It's the person that runs the entrepreneur group that they already belong to. There's the leaders that are in that group. And so if you look at my collaborative growth blueprint that I talk about on the show, we have a structured approach to building meaningful relationships with those people because Facebook ads, Google ads, all they really are is an ability to access a customer list. There might be higher intent or some kind of interest-based algorithm that's there, but essentially what you're doing is paying for eyeballs and paying for access. What I'd rather do is not pay anything, and I'd rather be associated with the exact type of people that align with the brand of my customers so every time I pitch a product, they want to buy it, and it builds my brand equity. And this is exactly what I did with Chris Bathgate to sell the fidget spinner, is I brought the technical expertise. I can make anything. So I go to somebody like, like him, and I say, hey, you design it. We'll work, but I'll do the marketing. I'll manufacture it. I'll ship the product. I'll QC the product. I'll do everything. Process the payments. I'll do everything. I just want you to design it and say that you designed it. I will pay you 20 or 25% of the revenue of this of this item. And that's that brings me to his audience. It gives me the credibility at the very top of the space. And we did a really cool collaboration. We actually did three collaborations. So that started a whole relationship of, of additional products. But I brought what my intellectual property was, the thing that I, my little zone of genius, which is I know how to make stuff. I know how to market stuff. But in that space, I had zero brand. And say approaching zero, <laughs> right? So nobody would want to buy that from me. But I've repeatedly done this with clients where we we're not using influencer marketing like somebody's posting to their Instagram, like a picture of the product. What we do is we make special editions of that product. We create content with that person. We might even co-brand or bundle the product. So it's something of theirs, something of ours. But we do the work. So we bring the work to that, to that um, thought leader, to that authority. And that way, we can access their list. They launch it to their list. And since we have elasticity in our supply, we can absorb elasticity in our demand. So 
when that person shows it to their list, our brand is is at a point where we can actually get pre-orders for the product, just like I did with a fidget spinner. We didn't sell 150 $700 fidget spinners. We pre-sold them. There's money is in the bank, right? With all the money to make it was in the bank. And it's because we're leveraging a known trusted brand. And so when I look at people who want to scale businesses, I show them who's your favorite brands in this industry. And they're like, oh, this, this, and this. And I show them, hey, look, all the smart people in your, in your market, they're either accidentally doing this or they've done it in the past is they've worked with a content creator. They've worked with a thought leader. They've worked with another brand. They've worked with an event and they've done something together. Not like I bought some ads and just saw if it worked, right? We've done something together to enhance the community, enhance our brand. And it, I, I don't, I don't know. I make it super simple. It's like, Fix your supply chain so you can make a whole lot of something without having to break the bank. Go figure out who has all of your customers and then go serve them. Build a relationship with them so they make money. They look good. That's how you scale because you can do that over and over and over again. You can do it over and over with the same person. Yeah. I, okay. I love it now. Um, last 10 minutes, like before we got on, uh, I asked you what you were most passionate about. <laughs> you just spend it and it's talking about what you what what is getting you excited keeping you up at night mm -hmm. keeping you jacked so talk about that i think it's made um, oh man yeah yeah so look i i get off on these these like tangents right and then i i focus content for for a while on this and this is something i'm i'm really hot on right now is it's the lie of linear growth and th this is here, here's the problem is that we're baked in. We're told a story that success is incremental. We have first grade, second grade, third grade. You know, we have elementary school, middle school, high school, college, where we have college and then starter job, big job, etc. But real life doesn't work like that. It didn't work like that for me. Um, like I said, I was a troublemaker kid. So it's just the way that it is. And running a business, starting a business certainly doesn't work like that. You don't just start it and then say, I'm going to build a brand. I'm going to get one client and then 10 clients. It just doesn't work because you'll run into obstacles. I don't know how to sell it. I don't have enough money for inventory. You run into challenges. And we're told that growth is that growth is uh, just it's like a line from the left to the right down to to the top or you see those little like exponential curves that people are like oh it's like this it's additive you know we add habits and we get better and it's just exponential but re in real life it's like up and then there's a roadblock and what i want people to know is relationships really are those things that allow us to hop over community are the things that allow us to hop over those challenges linear growth is a lie you can't put more money into a system and get more money out. Like ads, people will tell you return on ad spend. It's not, it's not scalable in the sense that business could just infinitely grow. If that was the case, dude, you'd find an ad that runs and you'd put a billion dollars into it and you'd have a billion dollar company. But the reality is that it doesn't work like that. 
because you have people that work for you. You have people that use your products. It, the market changes. There's there's money challenges, space challenges, resource challenges, manufacturing challenges, all of those things. So people get frustrated when they start a business or when they try to do something in personal development. They think it's a shortcoming for themselves, right? They're like, hey, this guy said, if I do this thing, I'm going to keep being successful. Hey, I went to school and they said I was going to get a great job that I like and I was going to get keep getting paid more. Hey, I thought this, I thought this was going to happen. And it's fundamentally not true. It's never happened in the course of human history and it won't happen for you because it's a lie. Linear growth is a lie. Radical change is the truth, is that we try things and then with the right strategy, we can go from we can go from zero to one, we can go to one to 10, we can go from 10 to a thousand. We can build a million dollar brand as quickly as people, um, people will spend 10 years not making money and then they'll have a, a you know million, $10 million brand. It, 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 it doesn't work the way that we're told. It doesn't work the way that school has taught us or that civilization has taught us. Um, so yeah, I'm just really hot on that. It's it's very frustrating. I see it crop up all the time, an employee mindset or just a average mindset creep into uh, the way people conduct their business. Well, you know, like I said, I had um, Chef Simon on yesterday, and we were talking about how the you know um, whatever they call it, hexatron, homicron, omicron. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of it, uh, you know, in the last two years, I think it's. 100,000 restaurants have gone out of business yep. in the last, you know, last two years. But, you know, a person's or a company's ability to pivot mm -hmm. can either mean going out of business. You know, like for me, I was with GNC for 30 years. We know where they're going. Um, right. But right next to me was a radio shack. And because they didn't want to, um, you know, adapt. And then next to me, next to my other side with Sears because they didn't want to adapt. They're both out of business. Right. So talk to us about, for the last couple of minutes, talking about the ability to uh, pivot, because who would ever thought that one company that was building cars, the next two Tuesdays from that day, they're building respirators. But they pivoted. Right. You well, know? That's, that's the difference between a corporate mindset and an entrepreneurial mindset, right? It's the difference between bringing an employee linear growth mindset to that kind of abundance, um, you know, radical mindset. But yeah, it, what's fascinating about all those things is while Radio Shack was dying, the maker movement, people were buying more components than ever. Huge businesses were exploding online, selling Raspberry Pi, selling Arduino, selling electronics kits, selling the exact stuff that would be in the 80s in, in, in Radio Shack was being sold online in the millions and millions of dollars, bigger than they, than Radio Shack, but they couldn't do it. They're selling Walkmans. They're selling, trying to sell cell phones, right? Same thing, you look at Sears. Sears is dying as e-commerce online is growing. You know, it's just like, it's like mind blowing. You see this over and over again. I just posted about Blockbuster, right? Yeah, where, where do you think I got that from? Yeah, it's, it just, it, it blows uh, our mind in retrospect, but at the time, Blockbuster thought, "Man, I don't want to. I don't want to buy these punks. These guys are send sending DVDs in the mail because that's what Netflix started as. 
It's so dumb. We've got stores everywhere. Why would I want to get involved with that? This guy said that they're going to they're going to stream movies over the internet. This is the dumbest thing I've ever heard. They could have bought Netflix for nothing. They could have replicated Netflix whole business model within a year and they had the cash to actually build it out and make it happen and they didn't do it. But you see this over and over again because they're stuck in an optimization of the opportunity that they're already in versus an optimization of what the customer's needs are, right? So if they understand that people liked Netflix DVDs because you could get weird movies that you, you'd never see in Blockbuster, right? You could just go and pick any movie that you wanted in the whole world. And then the I'll never bet against somebody that, that competes on ease, right? E-commerce, Uber, Netflix. If it's easy, you're in trouble. If your competitor is easy to buy from, you're in trouble. But it doesn't matter if they're a little lower quality, if it's a lot easier, Amazon's going to beat your ass. You know, so. But then you'll uh, see a lot of people that'll complain about business people that will complain about Amazon, mm -hmm. but yet have nothing on Amazon. Yeah. Like my books and stuff like that, you know, they're on Amazon. So it's nice that every once in a while I wake up and say I got a sale, but it, it gives me like our book hit number one twice on Amazon, I think. But also because it gives it adds a little bit more credibility mm. when you have a number one book on Amazon. You know what I mean? So I think yeah. a lot of people are, you know, like I know I can go to Amazon right now and order a pre-workout now and mm -hmm. it'll be here tomorrow morning when yeah. I wake up. It's why people, they need to go out and they need to talk to customers. Do a customer interview. People are really bad at predicting what they will buy or what they want. They're horrible at it. You know, we've known that for a hundred years. Henry Ford was like, hey, if I built what people wanted, I just have a faster horse. Everybody's heard that. But people are amazing at describing what their problems are. They love to complain. So if you ask people about what their problems are, how have you tried to solve that in the past? What have you done before? What would it, it look like? Hey, if somebody, it, you know, I'm working on something. Hey, can I follow up with you? Really simple interviews. You can bring those people in as, as customers, as early adopters, as fans, as fanatics. But more importantly, if, if you just go and ask and set your ego aside, set what you do aside right now, you'll build great intelligence for uh, the decisions you need to make. So it won't be a pivot. It'll be... Uh, because when I think of pivot, I think of like, oh God, we have to close all the restaurants, right? I think of it as we can set a new waypoint in our growth because we can understand this is the reality. This is what the actual territory looks like, not what our mental map looks like. Because our mental map is based on our experiences, not the reality of our customers' experiences. I love it. So last, last two questions I have is, how do we find you? Uh, how do we find your podcast? And how can we support your mission? Oh, that's great. I appreciate the opportunity. Uh, so End Hype Podcast, we're on all the platforms. That's where I put out a lot of my content. And my goal for that is for people to be able to listen to it, like I said, be able to launch and grow into a six-figure business. I really have nothing to sell people that are just launching. So my mission is to make you money. <laughs> it's for you to be able to run a really reasonable business and Hopefully, maybe in the future, you'll remember me. But my website is redbluecollective.com. 
I am on a lot of platforms, so you can find me pretty much anywhere. I, I do ask, this is my one thing, is if you have a question that if answered will take your life and business to the next level, DM me, email me, get on one of those platforms, tell me what that is. I will build a piece of content around it, or I will get an expert that's in my network to come on and answer that question in great length. That's how I get all my content. It's really my only ask is help me in my mission of serving other people to launch and grow their brands. I love it. And you know me, like I said, I've uh, binge watched, you know, listen to your show and I, I love it. Um, so now last question I have is like we were talking about earlier, you know, during this whole COVID thing, you know, millions of people have lost their jobs. Mm -hmm. Some of them are driving DoorDash, Uber, you know, just to put food on the table. So if I ask the average person, average American to do something in seven days, they're never going to get to it. But if I ask somebody that's listening to our show to take an actionable step in the next 24 hours, they're more likely. Mm -hmm. So if somebody that's listening to us right now, whose business is struggling and might be closing the doors within the next six weeks, what is something they can do in the next 24 hours to start to get some help and some clarity? Yep. Figure out who has a slightly different service or product than you, but serves the same type of people. Reach out to them and they're probably in the same situation as you and say, and if you, you can build a relationship when you make money for people, right? If you want to build a relationship with a, another business, you want them to sell your stuff to get you out of that hole. Here's the first step, make money for them. So if you can reach out to them and say, Hey, you do X, I do Y. I'd really like to, you know, I've heard about you in the community. I know that you have the grit, the best course, you have the best program, you have the best plumbing service. I'd like to highlight you to my people. Let's see if we can get some sales going. You can do this if you're in a good position for no money, but in general, you can do this for a referral fee and you can learn something that's more powerful than the four walls of your business is that sales is very scalable and relationships are very scalable too. So if I, if I wanted to make you money next week, I'd, I'd say that go find somebody that you respect serves the same customer. They have aligned values, go sell their stuff to your people that you already have. Maybe you've maxed out your community, but you can make some money for them. Maybe make a, a couple of points for yourself. You'll see that come back to you in multiple, multiple fold. So I love it, Callie. Thank you so much, brother. I'm so grateful for you, for you. So guys, if you're listening, make sure you check out the podcast. When I, whenever I'm listening to his podcast, I actually have my net, my notebook here and I'm just scribbling like a fool trying to get all the information and, and click rewind. So, so you're going to learn a lot, especially if you're a new business owner or if you're ready to scale, definitely check out his podcast. Guys, uh, definitely I want to thank our sponsors, OVF. If you're a veteran and you want to start a digital business, definitely check out OVF. It's a free, it's a free, um, free Facebook group. Check them out. Um, and then also if you guys are interested in supporting me, what I do, you know, if you, if you like rocking cool gear and if you like drinking coffee and not having to drink six or eight cups of coffee and go to the bathroom 12 times a day, one cup will keep you going all day long. Check out Vertical Momentum Coffee. Callie, I just want to say thank you, brother. Um, I'm so grateful for you and 
I can't wait to see what, what you got coming up in the future. Oh, man. Appreciate you. Thank you. All right, guys. Just remember, vertical momentum. The only way to go is up. I'll catch you guys on the flip. Thank you for joining us today. Please hit subscribe and share. Please feel free to leave us a comment.